Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. My name is Patrick Chen, and this is a podcast of the editorial of the July 2021 issue of BGOG. In this podcast, I would like to highlight three gynecology articles, which I think will have some importance to clinical care, especially with the current COVID-19 pandemic. There is clear evidence that antibiotic prophylaxis is associated with a reduction in infective morbidity during a termination of pregnancy. Does this also hold true for the non-expectant management of a miscarriage? Traditionally, incomplete miscarriage is managed with a surgical evacuation of uterus and the prevention of genital tract infections in patients undergoing this procedure is important in order not to compromise the future fertility. Although a previous Cochrane review has concluded that antibiotic prophylaxis is effective in reducing the risk of this outcome, Islam and colleagues provided an updated systematic review in this issue with additional new trials published following this review. Furthermore, they have also undertaken a subgroup analysis on the effect of antibiotic prophylaxis in trials undertaken in high versus low and middle income countries. Overall, there is a 28% reduction in the risk of genital tract infections with antibiotic prophylaxis. But the interesting finding from this review is whilst a significant effect size remains in those studies conducted in high-income countries, this effect is smaller and no longer statistically significant in low- and middle-income countries, despite the baseline infection rate being similar in both groups of studies. This finding appears counterintuitive, but the authors postulated that this may be explained by a possible higher antibiotic resistance rate and poorer drug compliance in low- and middle-income countries. A further explanation for this results is that whilst the pool estimate for high-income countries is homogeneous and the study quality was generally high, the same was not the case for those studies from low- and middle-income countries, and therefore bias may be present in the data. Furthermore, there is also evidence of publication bias in this review with underreporting of trials with the opposite effect size. The data from this review is only relevant to miscarriage managed surgically, and as far as I'm aware, no such studies on miscarriage managed medically or with manual vacuum aspiration in an awake patient has been reported. With the current COVID-19 pandemic, there's a trend to avoid any procedures undertaken with a general anesthetic, and hence the above findings may not be generalizable to this treatment alternatives. Nevertheless, it is still important to remind ourselves that irrespective of how the miscarriage is managed, there is a need for the tissue from such pregnancies to be examined histologically in order for a high form mole and sometimes an ectopic pregnancy to be excluded. Hysteroscopy is another surgical procedure which is increasingly being performed without a general anesthetic in order to minimize the pressure on the health service from COVID-19 and also to reduce the risk of the patient inadvertently acquiring this disease. Therefore, there is now a trend for hysteroscopy to be performed in an outpatient setting. In this situation, pain control during the procedure is clinically important in order to ensure that as many of such procedures as possible can be successfully completed. In this July issue, Solana and colleagues reported the results of a three-arm randomized control trial comparing inhaled nitrous oxide gas, peri- and paracervical infiltration 
with 12 mils of 1% lidocaine and no operative analgesia during outpatient hysteroscopy. The randomization was stratified to the hysteroscopy procedure for endometrial biopsy, polypectomy, and tubal occlusion with Isha. The primary outcome measure was pain assessed on a visual analog score assessed 5 to 10 minutes after the procedure is completed. The study found that the mean visual analog score for the nitrous oxide and the 1% lidocaine groups was significantly lower than a group without any analgesia, although there was no significant difference between the two treatment groups. The visual analog score in the nitrous oxide group was slightly lower than that in the 1% lidocaine group. The incidence of adverse events and the need for rescue analgesia or atropine administration during the procedure also showed the same trend amongst the three study groups, with the nitrous oxide group having the lowest number of such events. The authors highlighted that self-inhaled nitrous oxide is much cheaper and easier to administer than cervical block with 1% lidocaine, although either of these options can be used instead of no analgesia. Although this trial is generally executed well, the authors reported that participants in the endometrial polypectomy randomization strata had their polyps removed using several different methods such as hysteroscopic scissors with biopsy forceps, or the guiding care versa point system, or a hysteroscopic morselator. It is not clear if these different methods of excising and removal individual polyps were equally distributed among the three randomized groups in order to avoid any potential bias in the results. COVID-19 has also had a significant impact on cervical screening services. Currently, most cervical screening programs employ HPV testing and cytology in those who are HPV positive. Those who have cervical cytology abnormalities are then referred to corposcopy, whereas those who have normal cervical cytology will have a repeat HPV testing after a year. With this strategy, an increased referral for corposcopy has been observed. In order to reduce this corposcopy referral rate without missing the diagnosis of high-grade cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, which is defined as CIN3 or more severe lesions, Gori and colleagues evaluated the use of HPV genotyping as a means of triaging those patients who would most benefit from a corposcopic examination. This population-based study reported that the patients with HPV-16 are more likely to have CIN3 lesions compared to those with HPV-18 and other types of HPV infection. They have therefore concluded that the presence of HPV-16 infection and high-grade cytology can be a triage indicator for the presence of CIN3 disease whilst minimizing the number of corposcopies required at either the initial HPV screening or at one year of follow-up. There is still a need for the finding from this study to be replicated elsewhere to be confident of its validity. And Cruikshank highlighted the majority of women being screened in this Italian study were aged 30 years or more, whereas the screening program commences at a younger age group in England. Therefore, the results from this study may not be generalizable to a younger screen population as HPV infection rate will be expected to be higher.
Nevertheless, it is still important that different screening strategies are evaluated to explore options to reduce the burden on health service and the psychological impact on patients from any over-investigations. It is clear that as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, health services around the world will still have to continue to adapt in order for them to be able to continue to provide high-quality care and also to catch up with the work that has been suspended during the pandemic itself. We can be sure that there will be many changes to the delivery of gynecological services for many years to come as a result of this pandemic. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.